Speaking of um, cost-effective, the bizarre, <laughs> cost-effective purchase of a nickel asset, IGO have announced an impairment of the old Western Areas asset. Great sale processes in yeah. history. Harry Hermanus and Jubilee selling it for $3.1 billion to Extrata. And then Western Areas picking it up from Extrata. $24 million. Unbelievable. We want to uh, give a compliment to Dan Locker. He obviously got a pretty good deal for his shareholders when he sold this asset if you look at the impairment today. So, well, the Poseidon announcement was another It is, one. mate. So five positive sounding dot points. And then the last one is what, what the real news really is. G'day money miners, Monday 17th of July, it's me and JD in the helm, Trav will be back tomorrow, he's uh, been hiking down south, did a bloody R&R &R for the big fella, JD how are you sunshine? I'm doing well mate, interesting weekend we had wasn't it? <laughs> it was an interesting weekend, well, me quick message to the money miners, we can't say too much but uh, we received a nasty legal letter on, uh, on Friday. Regarding the Abyssinian episode, so that uh, Tuesday one's just been taken down, just as until we get further legal advice, I guess. JD, it's about all we'll say at the moment. Yeah, no, obviously no Friday episode. That was like we flagged going to be a longer form discussion, but we've had to hold fire for now. Yep, yeah, we'll uh, we'll give you more uh, info once we're. Not once we've got it, once we're allowed to tell you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get into some let's stuff we can talk about. Let's get into it, JD. Me and you, eye contact at a maximum 100%. I love it. First off, the cap off the rank, your mates at Sayona. Yeah, good, good friends of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so the CEO and CFO, like we'd flagged, I think about a month ago now, they were coming up yeah. for a vote on the award of some shares, so 10 million options and shares uh, respectively. And these votes did pass by the skin of uh, their teeth. teeth. Skin That's of their teeth. That's the one. So 46% and 47% voting against the, um, the uh, oh, what do you call it? Whatever the, the – Whatever the, that's called. The, the issues. Regardless, the, that's the a lot matters. of people. That is a <laughs> lot of people voting against. So these were by far the most contentious votes up. There was, I think, seven other things and one um, – one matter had been removed, so... It's, a, it's no different to university, JD. No matter if you get 70, 60, as long as you get over 50, it's a pass, mate. A pass is a pass, and they've got their shares in options, so I'm sure there'll be happy campers <laughs> of the management of Sayona. Right, okay. Now, next one, we've got... Now, before, we, we've got a few deep dives today. We'll, yeah, we'll better give a bit of a prelude. I didn't before. IGO have done a bit of a write-down of their Western Areas assets. Yeah. Uh, we've also got some lithium bolters that have unbolted today <laughs> Just significantly. flagging some stuff to the money miners, aren't we? Mm, also got Hillgrove had a bit. Obviously, we touched on Sayona. Whitehaven Coal had their quarterly report out. JD's been on the investor call. He's, mm. a big, he's the man in the well, – yeah, we'll talk in about the, the old dirty coal that give out shitloads of dividends. That's it. We'll get into it. Right, um, Hillgrove, start off there, JD. They put out their June quarterly today. So they've got been – they've made their final investment decision for the stage one of the Can Man, Can Man 2 underground copper mine in That's South it, Australia. Mate. Have you heard of this one before? Oh, I have, I have heard of it. I've listened to some podcasts about it. Yeah, right. So uh, One of the potential emerging – Copper players. Exactly. So one of those ones that are in, a bit on the ASX. A bit higher up on the cost curve, hence, you know, with a more bullish environment as we sort of keep flagging in future for copper, or as the industry keeps flagging, 
This one might be, or it looks like it is next sort of cab off the rank. They're expecting first production in quarter one of 2024. So, yeah, like we said, the Canman 2 underground copper mine. This one's in South Australia. Doug, it should be a mate, bit risky for shift changes over there, mate, if they all head to the Barossa Valley to get on the piss mate, on their is, days off. It is stunning out there. We've got to put a photo up. It's about 50 k's southeast of Adelaide. So just over the Adelaide Hills, it's, it's really quite beautiful out there. So I don't think they'd have the same recruiting problems that we seem to be <laughs> talking about every other day. They are in the process of sort of manning up the, the team over there. This mine actually started in 1846. So wow. it's got a bit of history. And between 2010 and 2020, it sort of operated as a series of open pit mines. So all up over that time period, they produced 137,000 tonnes of copper and 55,000 ounces of gold. So it's it's nothing massive. Now in the process of... Um, getting it started up again, they uh, have done a capital raising. So they raised, they raised roughly $38 million about a month ago. They needed FERB approval for a, a slice of that. I think it was $17.2 million that was going to a, a commodity trading house. Was that the shareholder approval for the uh, they needed capacity? They needed Foreign Investment Review Board to oh, FERB right. as it was an um, overseas party taking up a, a substantial stake. Yep. And... They've got that now. So, like I said, 38 million placement. At the end of the quarter, they had 35 million in cash and the total restart was 25. So, we heard those terms that we frequently toss around, fully funded and perhaps less so frequently debt-free. So, the company's flagged both of these and to me it seems pretty realistic because it's a pretty quick restart. They've got a 3.6 million tonne per annum processing plant good to go they've got a bloody decent size isn't it yeah they've got a tailings facility that is good to go so like we sort of said just outside of adelaide there all the infrastructure is in place it's not a massive thing it's a it's a restart project so with seven months like we flagged quarter one is when they when they want to get that first production out it looks like everything is you know all in a line now the mine plan itself it's not massive so the initial mine life is just under four years and it's for a total of 44,000 tonnes of copper and 11,500 ounces of gold. Now, that's not per annum. That's for the whole period. So, they're, yeah, they're so 11,000 an annum roundabouts. Yeah, or a bit less. Yeah, bit of, more, of copper. Less yeah. than four years. Yeah. Exactly. So um, they're obviously looking to expand that. They're drilling away. The current resource sits at 6.9 million tonnes at 1.08% copper and 0.16 grams per tonne gold. So – be interested to see that 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 size processing plant with that small of a, I guess, an output. Um, the spare capacity, don't you think? Yeah, we're well, trying to fill it. Did they say? Did they say how many? If they're going to fill it for three point six, I know you said it's uh, it's pretty low grade, one point eight. 1.08% so resource. They, they don't make it super easy to find out what, what the plan is. I'd imagine it, it wouldn't be running at, at full capacity initially, unless perhaps what they have flagged is that they're, they're drilling away and trying to expand that quite quickly. So if they can expand that resource and then, you know, hence the, the reserve quite quickly and firm that up, then they'll get closer to, to filling up that, um, that mill it might, it might. Oh, let, let's if I did numbers off the top of my head, I remember DeGrusa was 1.6 million tonne, but that was about four four and a bit percent, and that produced 65,000 tonne a year. Yeah, so I guess if you do, divide that by five to this, um, that's getting oh, no, it still probably looks like it'd be about half utilized. So I guess we'll, yeah, um, yeah, that's you know, roughly 
what I'd sort of had in my head, but we'll see how they go about about drilling. They are posting out drill results, yeah. and I think they have flagged before they get into production again. So before the end of the year, they want to come out perhaps even sooner with a um, with a new resource. So well, there's always the options to campaign mill week on week, got two week on two week off or something. So. Yeah, I'm sure they might look at the most cost effective strategy there. Mm, speaking of um, cost effective or not the most cost-effective oh, cost uh, <laughs> cost purchase of a nickel asset. So IGO have announced an impairment of the old Western Areas assets. So that's Forestonia, which is um, your flying fox and your spotted quoll assets, which are sort of at the back end of their lives. Not long to go there at all. I think less than two years for uh, spotted quoll, if that. And then the Cosmos assets, which we've yes. talked about before, came from uh, the one of the great uh, – Great sale processes in yeah. history. Kerry Hermanus and Jubilee selling it for $3.1 billion to Extrata. Yeah. Right then, at the peak of the nickel. Oh, they couldn't have picked a better time. <laughs> and then Western Areas picking it up from Extrata, I think 24, $24 million. Unbelievable. So sold, bought it for $3.1 billion, sold it for $24 million. Um, yeah, and it looks, so it looks like Forest, ah, it looks like Western Areas did a phenomenal job for their shareholders because of this impairment. It's a pre-tax non-cash impairment expense of between 880 and 980. So here's a quote from the announcement today. It's just a one-pager. The impairment relates to the reassessment of the accounting value at Cosmos and Forestania to reflect higher capital and operating costs, challenges to the mine production schedule and delays in development at Cosmos. So there was obviously a big bill that they knew was coming to develop Cosmos, but it's turned out to be way, way, way bigger than what even they thought not even that long ago, literally like a year ago. Yeah, so and for other people that don't know, that's also referred to as a Decius. I think a Decius is the name of the underground. Yep. JD, give a bit of a rundown on what this, what an impairment is, like in the context of IGO bought this these assets or, or they essentially took over Western areas for $1.2 billion, but now they're, they've got an impairment of 880 to 980 million, which is, God, what's that? Nearly bloody 80% of the purchase value. How does, how does that work? What does yeah, okay, this let's actually get into mean? Matt, it, Maddie. So the, the impairment is this, the write down of the value of the asset on the balance sheet. So if we sort of roll back the clock a bit, IGO, Wrapped up the purchase. It was, you know, not the quickest purchase process. They wrapped it up on June 20, 2022, so a bit over a year ago. And then they sort of flagged that they're going to do an optimization strategy designed to deliver higher production rates. They wanted to really ramp things up. Um, for Cosmos, part of this process was turning the mill from 750,000 tonnes per annum to 1.1 million tonnes per annum. Also modifying the shaft, the shaft infrastructure, and adding additional underground development. Now, obviously, this all costs a fair bit of money. So four months after that process, uh, the purchase had wrapped up in October of last year, they revised their cost estimate up by th between 370 and 400 million above what the independent expert had flagged just four months earlier, which was 425. So at that point, you're looking at a midpoint price of 810 million on, on the capex to develop the, the asset there. Now, this was mainly due to cost escalations, high capital costs, mine, schedule, and underperformance. Yep. So then we go to March quarterly. So that is, you know, three months ago from, from today. And this is where the company first flagged that there would be an impairment 
on on the value of the old Western Areas assets. So what the company said was that um, the purchase price was being finalised and they were reviewing the life of mine budgets for both Forestania and Cosmos. So like you said, they paid $1.3 billion. And now the company's pretty quick to flag in today's announcement that this is only based on reserves and based off consensus nickel and foreign exchange prices. So what they're sort of saying there is that there's potential upside to the value of, of what the assets are on the books of the company. So by no means a positive announcement, but if you do look at what some of the equity analysts covering the stock have sort of said, they, they ascribe five, between 5 and 7% of the entire value of IGO to these assets. So not a, not a huge amount. I think Macquarie have an MPV of the old Western Areas assets sitting at about $730 million. So this is a company that when I last checked was capped at roughly $11 billion. And looking into why they do that and why they do that now, one of the things that sort of comes to mind is that the, this new CEO, Ivan Vela, who's coming from Rio, he's starting in December and perhaps it's a strategy of the current team to sort of wipe the slate clean, have him come in, you know, he can, he can turn to a new page and have a clean start. That's, that's one potential take on the, on the situation. But all up, it doesn't look like they, you know, allocated capital too wisely, does it? So if you were going to summarise it for an underground miner, they've bought it for $1.3 billion, but they're only attributing the value now to be potentially $400 million. Yeah, looking likely that it'd be less than $400 million. Uh, Yeah, I think the read-through and most of that value would be for Cosmos and um, the Forestania assets don't look like they're getting too much value ascribed to them. So does the commodity prices today affect what they value this asset at? How does that work? The value of the asset would be on whatever the commodity prices they've forecasted over the life of the asset. So So have they they potentially dropped their commodity prices that they're forecasting for because of the nickel slump of recent? Exactly. There's absolutely the possibility that because of the recent slump – They've readjusted their forecast for the for the mine life of these assets, yep. and hence you get a reduced value of the asset. Right. So if you look at um, as I said, this impairment, a lot of it's probably come from the commodity prices, increased labour, uh, cap increased cost of capex, and a lot a lot of um, holes in the cheese have lined up. But um, look, as you said, if we want to uh, give a compliment to Dan Locker, he obviously got a pretty good deal for his shareholders when he sold this asset if you look at the impairment he today. Sh- so. he, he sure did. And we're going to talk about a, a company next, Poseidon, and what they've decided to do. And a lot of the, the same issues relate to this impairment charge. It's a nickel asset in WA. So a lot of the, the issues that Poseidon are facing and why they've decided not to restart or go ahead with the, the restart at Black Swan – will be sort of applicable to a greater cost and less value attributable to these assets that IGO have just picked up. Well, the Poseidon announcement was another one of those, uh, you, see, you see they were down 20 plus percent and you go start reading the announcement, you're like, where's the smoking bullet here? But uh, it's smoking guns, sorry. It's always the last line. It is, mate. So five <laughs> positive sounding dot points and then the last one is what what the real news really is and that that news is that they've made the decision to defer the restart of Black Swan or the Black Swan project 
as a result of uh, external market conditions and project-related factors. So mm. not good. So if you're, if you're digging a bit more and you see what CEO Peter Harold had to say about it, here's a few of the points. So grid power wouldn't be available at the site until end of 2024. Further metallurgical test work is required, i.e. the initial test work didn't look too good. There's tightness in the labour market. So that's obviously an added cost. There's lack of available FIFO accommodation. This is something we discussed and warned about when Northern Star pressed go on the KCGM expansion not and, too long ago. And don't underestimate that point, everyone. That was one of the biggest factors for Poseidon getting back up and going was just housing people Absolutely. Around, housing the workforce around Kalgoorlie. In and around so Kalgoorlie. That's, a, that's actually a really big issue. Yep. So this is the point you touched <coughs> on earlier, Maddie. increased volatility in global commodity prices. So what they're saying is the nickel price has come off quite a bit. <laughs> well, it's not, not really volatility. It's just yeah. gone down shitloads. One way, yeah. <laughs> and tough equity markets. So the read-through is that they couldn't raise the, the required money there. All that said, it looks like it could be the right choice. You know, it could be very costly. It could be pretty risky and also dilutive to get Black Swan going right now. All those you know, factors we've mentioned, they're almost all working or they all are working against the company at the moment, just like they're working against IGO with regards to the value of Forestania and Cosmos. So they're, they're IGO balls deep in, you know, constructing, constructing a, you know, concentrator and developing and they're right down in the bloody yeah. thick of it. So uh, they don't have the luxury just to uh, stop. Yeah. Well, they, and, they, look, they do. But. And, and of course, they've already sort of flagged this potential PCAM process further downstream. So we'll see what actually happens on that. We're waiting for announcements later on. But um. There's also other sort of rumblings we've heard around the market digging into nickel and that's sort of what's coming out of Indonesia. That's the perhaps reduced cost, you know, the lowering of that cost curve for this nickel production out of Indonesia well, and that yeah, comes on the back the of… technology, the technology that's converting these class twos now into class ones. So, 100%. It comes yeah. on the back of the advancements they've had in all the, the metallurgical processing, doesn't yeah. it? And you can – it's essentially they can now – like you know, prior the the premium was a nickel sulfide deposit, easy to process, no leach acid leaching, no HPAL, no pox or anything required. That was the premium product, and then there was the your shitty laterites, which are everywhere, but they were used for stainless steel for pig iron. Yeah. Now there is you know the metallurgical processes available to convert that class two that into a class one, and there's a gutload more of it. So, yep. and there's a lot of, uh, we, we have got an episode scheduled, we had to sort of delay it a bit, but to talk about how this is going to work with this IRA, Inflation Reduction Act in America. Absolutely, mate. This, dealing this, with China. Um, this nickel is just one small component yep. of the whole IRA discussion that we're going to have, but it's a fascinating one nonetheless. Because so. I think there's about... There's one that's been built, a HPAL, which is a high-pressure acid leach plant, that's been built in Indonesia. There's about another six in either yeah. progress or yeah, due to be constructed. Yeah. yeah, like so about eight total. So, And these are big, 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 massive amounts of tonnes. Yeah. So they're all this nickel, when all this nickel comes online and feeds the battery industry, you know, potentially the smaller operations like this could yeah. suffer. We don't know. Yeah, the higher cost operations could be in trouble. Yeah, so yet to be – yeah, Kate, we look forward to that episode. When we eventually get there, JD. We'll get there, mate. Don't you we'll worry. get there. Okay, right. let's, get, let's get on to the bloody lithium, mate. Cause a, tell a case you what study, I reckon this one is. Well, it's had a bit of um, 
Jeez, we've had some bolters of recent, the real lithium flavour. It was one of them ones, anyone that reported some oh, potential pegmatite, rock yeah. chips, thick pegmatite intersections, anything that could contain some spodumene bearing mineralisation was just absolutely bolting off its tits. And I'm going to talk about two today, but I'll talk lead out with the first one. Voltaic Strategic Resources, VSR. So... They've got the uh, tea tree lithium project. So right next to old Flano's uh, Yinathara project, the Delta Lithium, the, what Flano called the uh, Project Swiss Cheese. That's right. So that's their northern project. They, they got the one further to the south, yeah, which so is the Mount one that's Ida. a lot bigger, yep. but a bit lower grade than Mount Ida. So yep. um, sort of west of the the western part of the Gascoigne region. So I'll put up a map there and then. This tea tree project is sort of – they've got tenements either side of – Red Dirt's Yinathara project. So as you can, as you can see here. So what? And Red, red Dirt, of course, now being oh, it's Delta. Delta, Delta yep. Lithium. Yeah, this is an old picture I had here. So they've look. They had a great run of instance. We'll show you the stock price, stock chart here. But today they are back down thirty nine percent in early trade. So it's a big bloody drop. You'll see the big gap on the candlestick chart there at the end. So. They've gone from, look, they were up to a 26 mil market cap back down to 16. They were as high as a $45 million market cap at one stage um, for these prospects. And correct me if I'm wrong, Matty, a lot of that was just in anticipation of drill results that were to come out. Well, they had the, they were were going for rare, they were a rare earth play, then they they discovered lithium and then they're going in between, they're one of those um, identity confused companies a bit because they don't know if they're, we don't know if they're a rare earth company or a lithium company. Flavour of the day. um, So look, we'll go go through the timeline. 9th of May, they released uh, some thick pegmatite intersections at this tea tree lithium project. So, and they went from 2.6 cents to 6.3 cents. I think they were up about oh, roughly about 140% on the first day. So, and these thick pegmatite intersections were, you know, reported from surface thicknesses of 58 meters, 50 meters, 34 meters, 13 meters. So, real potential for some thick. Pegmatites. But if you do a good old control F on the document, JD, type in spodumene or spodumene bearing, you'll come up with bloody nothing. So like that's that first announcement. Everyone's thinking, right, these pegmatites have the potential to host spodumene bearing pegmatites. So you can have a pegmatite, but it's not hasn't got any spodumene in it, which means it's got no lithium in it. So and then they've also got the, the and, there, and there was the neurology yeah. to the Yinathara. So they're like, well, if they're right in between them, there's a good chance that there should be some lithium in this pegmatite. So they've got good tailwinds at the moment. This is taken us back a couple of months ago. Mm, we did talk about them briefly because three days later they uh, they raised seven million bucks at five cents straight away because they had the big they had the big rise. So that's the perfect time to raise yep. money. So that five cents was still double to what the share price was trading because they were two point four before they had the announcement. I think I've seen something like that before, Maddie. Have you seen that before? Oh, so <laughs> a couple of times. Good yeah. announcement. Bang. Bang. Raise. <laughs> um, so look, and they, they continued their run up to about eight to ten and a half cent range because they also had the they got a rare earth play in Mekathara, which was their um and I think that was the, I think that was their initial thing they were plugging, but then the lithium come along. So but today they come out with 50% of their assay results from these pegmatite intersections from this maiden uh this drill program at Tea Tree. 
They're now back down 39%, back down to 4.4%, 4.4 cents. So that's 10% below what they raised the money at. And look, if you look at the lithium assays, this is what come back from they, – they reported all the – all other figures as well, but this is what actually come back for those four headline holes from the first announcement. So hole 15 was the 58 metre intersection, which looked massive. That 58 metres only contained one metre of 0.03% lithium, so of actual spodumene. So that essentially that hole 58 metres was just a, a barren pegmatite, similar to the – same as the pegmatite that's um, – under the block cave, uh, under the sublevel cave at uh, Big Bell, you know, there's that pegmatite uh, dike yeah. that the the whole reason that they were uh, yeah. diverting to a long hole open stoping method underneath. Yeah. Same as that had no, that's got no lithium in that's it. That's a that's a blank. And what about the other three? So hole hole twelve, fifty meters, which only contained two meters at zero point zero three percent lithium, and then a, and then the rest of the little one meter intersections. The hole six the was the thickest, thirteen meters that had seven meters, but it's only zero point zero three percent lithium. Yeah. So, so essentially, essentially barren. So, but their next steps, some great positive um, wording from the company. Most prospective parts of tea tree are yet to be tested. So, <laughs> so stay, stay tuned. So, um, I guess the oh, before I get into the next one, I guess the what the retail punters have got to look out for is whether they when they do get these thick intersections, is there any evidence of spodumene bearing pegmatite? So normally they'll put up like a a vis, like they'll say we've intersected these pegmatites. There's some visual. Like, and that's probably easiest when they're doing diamond because you can see the diamond yeah. core. Um, you can see the actual spodumene bearing sections of it with the spodumene crystals. So, look, if there's no mention, this is this is what can happen on the wor- on the on the badder end. Yeah, wor- I guess the, the worst re- end. The real warning is that pegmatites does not mean you know lithium bearing necessarily exactly um another one we talked we talk, talked about a while uh, the end of last month was solace minerals slm so they're down 41 percent today as well so um they acquired the jaguar lithium project in brazil and i think latin resources are a, like a i think they're a 19 percent shareholder in that so it's in in brazil i think they're sort of Probably be a, a Latin. It's like a, a so Latin. Cent- Latin are invested, so they can pump the expiration and see yeah. if they find anything. So, so Centaurus have the ja- yeah, Jaguar. Yeah, nickel. same same name, different different projects. So this is the Jaguar Lithium name, project. So they, and they reported they actually reported four point nine five percent lithium in rock chip samples. Um, so from when they bought this project, they ran from fourteen cents. Up to a bit above a dollar twenty, massive boulder. They were capped at around sixty million dollars, but the actual drill results came back. So this is without assays or anything. Um, very underwhelming. The best results were eight point two meters and seven point nine meters of spodumene rich quartz. So they've said it's it is visual visual spodumene in this quartz. But the thicknesses are only 8.2 to 7.9 metres. So they've intersected pegmatite, but there's only that small thickness of actual quartz, um, spodumene bearing in it. 
Not great, hey? So they're, hence they're down 41% as well. So Mate, a couple about, of uh, lithium ones fallen off the cliff a bit today. That's it. Why don't we talk about something positive, mate? <laughs> uh, and not lithium. Sovereign Metals, Rio. Yeah. The big awesome announcement. Great announcement for Sovereign. So it looks really promising. The um, the project that Sovereign have is the Kasaya Rutile Graphite Project in Malawi. So Rio have made a $40 million investment and they're taking 15% ownership of Sovereign. So if all the options that are on the table are exercised, Rio will have just under that 20% mark in ownership of Sovereign. So the shares are up 20, uh, they're up 15% from when I last checked on the day. And interestingly, the, the stock had finished up 11% on Friday. So the deal, something we've spoken about in the past, uh, not too long ago with Leo and a couple other names, has been done at a premium, which is always awesome to see. So it was priced at roughly 48 cents per share, which to the, the VWAP that they used, the 45-day VWAP, was a 10% premium. Now, those options I just mentioned before, they're at a 21% premium to that same average. So they'll be priced at or exercisable at 53 and a half cents. So Rio also have the option to be the operator of this mine if that's what they want to do. And they've got the rights to the marketing rights to market 40% of the annual production of all the products that come out of the project. So lastly, they've got right of first refusal um, to their to their share on any future raise and all up, I think it's a, a pretty great announcement for Sovereign and just a tick of, uh, tick of approval just helps validate what they're doing over there and that there is a future for this project. And Rio Tinto must be thinking there is some benefit in uh, the – natural graphite yeah, as I mean, well because we've talked about that before because there's the graphite anodes, uh, you know, can be primarily supplied from synthetic graphite made in China right? and in, in contrast to using actual mined graphite. Yeah, so. we've touched on it a bit in the past. Graphite is a, a you know, quite – It's an interesting an, one. It's an interesting one and quite sort of esoteric. You know, you need, a, you need to be quite in the weeds to understand what's going on. Um, there's a lot of – pricing power and such that comes out of China. That's a, that's a point we've touched on in the past. But in the announcement, they do sort of reference that this graphite will be a component in, in lithium batteries in the future. And, you know, it's not been a secret that Rio wants lithium and this is just another part of the, that battery component, you know. Right. But now head away from – let's do an absolute 180 away from battery metals and we'll head into the big dirty coal, JD. White Haven's – June quarterly report was out today. Let's do it. So we'll skim through the, the highlights of the Get ready for some big numbers, everyone. Yeah. So don't get much publicity. The coal price that they achieved was Aussie $264 per tonne. So, so that was full, for the quarter. That was for the quarter, yep. for the full year, 445 Aussie. So why, it's come off a lot recently, has it? Or It's come off massively. So we had that sort of energy crisis Last about a year ago, and we had super, super elevated prices for uh, roughly a year or so, and the coal price has just been coming off steadily since – or it dropped off massively, and yep. it's sort of held steady for the last quarter or so around that level I just mentioned. So the run of mine coal production is at the lower end of guidance, 18.2 million tonnes. They guided 18 to 19.2, and that's just the, the raw production figure, and then you have the managed sales of – Produced coal, so that's 16 million tons. So this is all for the year, by the way, and that was at the top of guidance. So that's what's been processed, you know, clean, sorted, and matched so it meets the specs of the the buyers. 
and then sold. So the capital returns for FY23, $1.6 billion. <laughs> so the majority of that is through share buybacks and then also a portion in dividends as well. And over the past two years, that total you know, capital return has been over $2 billion. So pretty huge. And and the reason for that, JD, we'll, ex- we'll expand on that because coal is that they can't – they're not looking to use that for – acquisitions because you can't no one's wanting to build new coal mines and uh what what's the main reason that they distribute a shitload of it there's the the first thing that comes to mind is that they are you know they're super profits they're abnormally high because of what we touched on before that energy crisis of those just huge huge spikes up in coal prices and all we saw it in you know natural gas and all sorts of energy-based commodities about a year ago. So that led to the, the crazy profits. And naturally, like any commodity business, you want to return that to your shareholders. Um, you're dead right in saying that they don't have the same capacity. For instance, um, Pilbara has a huge amount of cash on their on their books at the moment, on the balance sheet, but it's it's not the same sort of talk that we're seeing about buybacks and uh, dividends that they did do a small dividend at Pilbara, but there's a lot more focus on what are they going to buy next? You know, where yeah. are they going to pump this money in? Are they going to go downstream? Are they going to buy another mine? It's it's not the same. It's all about capital returns here. Now there is some coal assets up for sale in Australia. They're the BHB assets, Dornia and Blackwater, which that sales process is no secret. It's been running for quite a while, but I'll, I'll touch on that a bit later on. But Buybacks is the way they've decided is the most effective way to return capital to shareholders. So and, and it's probably a, to do with risk as well, wouldn't it? Because if they risked investing capital into new coal mines and there's a quick turnaround or reduced use in coal, that's a risk. So the, I guess the safest bet for them is to just distribute it straight to shareholders, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it's the the decision they've made. Being a, a coal mining company – I dare say a lot of them are quite bullish on the future of coal. Otherwise, why would you go and work there, you know? Mm. But um, for, the, for the time being, you know, it doesn't make sense to hold a tremendous amount of cash, you know, more, more than what's needed on the balance sheet and you want to reward the shareholders that have stuck with you, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure many of the, the management, they are shareholders in the business and that's the, the right way to reward those shareholders. So there were some on coal pricing, some interesting points that CEO Paul Flynn raised in the announcement and in the quarterly call this morning. So seasonally lower demand. Now you think oh, it's, it's winter, but they actually send a lot of this to the Northern Hemisphere. So it's summer. So you don't need the, the thermal coal for heating and such. And of Whitehaven's coal mix, 96, roughly 96% was thermal coal and 4% was met coal. So they also said that customers had high inventory level, levels and that Whitehaven's Achieved price is 10% greater than the Newcastle Coal Index, which was US 161. So that Newcastle Coal average that I just touched on, that was 35% lower than the previous quarter. So that yep. just speaks to that drop-off that I mentioned just before. On the cost front for Whitehaven, excluding royalties, they had costs of $103 per tonne, so that's in the middle point of guidance. They did flag they're not immune to these issues like other miners around Australia. Higher diesel prices weather disruptions and a tight labour market, which is leading to upward pressure on labour costs. So the company is now in their their blackout period. They can't buy any more stock until the, the annual report comes out in which their flag is for August 24. But right now they have cash on, on the books of $2.65 billion. Jesus Christ. And this is for a company with a market cap of $5.6 billion. 
tremendous amount of cash. They do have an $800 million tax bill coming due in December. Now, if you start digging into the, the report today a bit more, there's an, there's an interesting note. So they had a $1 billion financing facility, which hasn't been renewed. So in the announcement itself, they don't really provide too much color on it, but that, that was absolutely um, the center of a lot of questions on the call this morning. A lot of analysts asking, you know, why, why wasn't that um, why wasn't that renewed? So there was a number of reasons as to how the company answered that. One of them, the, the most central reason was that the company said when they went and spoke with these commercial banks, they, the, the banks point to the fact that Whitehaven has $2.65 billion on their books and says, why, why do you need more? What, what are you going to do with this? You know, what's an extra billion on top of the 2.65? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and then from the bank's point of view, they want to decarbonize their their books. So in the case that, you know, their their client, Whitehaven, has an amount of cash and they don't feel like they're leaving them out in the dark, they can get rid of that coal exposure on their book, you know. That's something that all all banks are quite active in trying to do at the moment. They did say that there's substantial interest in the banking community for Met Coal projects. A quote was that we certainly don't have any problems with any of the banks around town. Now, another thing that the company flagged was that they're keeping their lines with debt capital markets and offshore capital providers open as well. So I'm sure the pool of potential financiers isn't too great for a company like this. So they need to keep all those avenues open. So that's the appropriate thing to do. Now, there was one point of contention, Maddie. They've got this project, Vickery, which needs quite a bit of development capital. And when it comes to the banks and what they want to finance, there's a difference between Met Coal and Thermal Coal. And as it relates to this asset, Whitehaven are of the view that this is a, you know, a, a Met Coal project, whereas the bank's sort of leaning it toward it being a thermal coal. And that sort of, lifters, uh, that sort of differs in who is going to finance it and how much they can sort of raise if it's going to go to an asset like this. Right, well, I suppose to, um, to broaden on that, your, your thermal coal is what's used in coal-fired power stations to generate electricity. Yep. The metallurgical coal is what's used in coking for steel making it's called also called coking coal so that's what's used in steel making for absolutely the smelting so absolutely mate so, so and I, I think i might be talking out my ass here i think a lot of the stuff in uh north queensland like bowen basin i think that's a lot more coking coal metallurgical coal whereas the hunter valley is a lot more thermal coal yeah you, but there is still both you're right on that the hunter valley that uh sort of speaks to the newcastle coal index referring to a high quality thermal coal product yeah. that's one of the most commonly used indexes for pricing in australia i think it's the, it's the carbon level that determines if it's coking or thermal i'm pretty sure it's the car yeah, the level of carbon in it i think yeah. i think it sounds good it's all carbon so yeah yeah but i think different percentages of it i think Something like that. i think you're right there mate now what's super interesting about this potential big pile of cash is how they're going to spend it. So we've touched on the the buybacks, but there's a sort of elephant in the room and that's the sale process that we touched on with BHB of Dornier and Blackwater. So there was an article in The Australian last week uh, sort of playing around with a bit of gossip about potential buyers for this. Now, the CEO, Paul Flynn, he said, I wouldn't pay too much attention to that article in in the call this morning. And then one of the analysts from Shores just served up a pretty pretty direct question asking, are you interested and what would the timing be on a potential purchase? So Paul returned it pretty straight. He said, regarding the timing, that's for the seller to say, BHB being the seller. And regarding the interest, he said, we look at everything and he flagged that Dornia is pretty near to one of their assets in Winchester South. So remains to be seen. It's seen in that article had flagged that 
there were six potential buyers, but we'll see that that process has dragged on quite a while. Mm. So we'll have to watch this space about how that plays out. But in the meantime, it's returning a good amount of cash for BHB. Where's uh, where's old Tinkler floating about these days? Did you follow Tinkler much back in the day? I did, the mate. The coal I think ma- he, magnate. Is I think he back he, in Australia? I believe so. He had a. He went a, hiding in Singapore for a bit, didn't he? Bit of a fall from grace. I think he had a few mm. debts still to was pay. Was he Whitehaven? No. What was his one? Was didn't he? Was it uh, Aston? Aston Resources and um, Broadwalk. Broadwalk, because so, they didn't he merge them into Whitehaven, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and if you if you read through the announcement today, they reference some, geez, I think restricted stock of some sort, and that relates to this deal that was done. Over 10 years ago in 2012. Yeah. So they're stock that uh, doesn't receive any of the dividends and such there. Oh, God. He'd be spewing he's missing out on these dividends. Imagine if he owned the big stake like he did back then. Yeah, that was a, that was a long time ago, mate. Oh, no, not that long, ten. I suppose you were still in bloody primary school back then, probably. <laughs> High school, mate. High school. <laughs> Righto, JD. Sensational, mate. Look forward to big Ricciardo getting back in town tomorrow. We sure do, We've got mate. a bit on this week, don't we? Oh, we've got a few exciting interviews in the works for the Money Miners, don't mm. we? What's um, – are we, we going to give any teasers? Mm. Nah, nah. One's pretty good. Yeah. I'll, um, we're going global as well. We are going global. Yeah. And we're going um, – oh, God, I could yeah, – I'm trying to think. There's no hints I can give away that wouldn't give it away. <laughs> Why don't we just leave it at that then, mate? Right. Uh, we, better, we better not keep promising episodes and not put them up. But uh, I think we might be safe on these ones. It's all it's all coming out. The money miners are going to get there. Okay? <laughs> we won't let you down. Stay tuned. Hooteroo, Matty. Hooteroo, money miners. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.